When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, this episode is sponsored by HerdApp Marketings. Now, you've heard us talk about the HerdApp Media team and all the reasons we chose to work with them and how far the Hollywood Raw podcast has come in the last few months with much more in the pipeline that we're very excited about. But HerdApp Media is only one part of the HerdApp organization. Let us say one of the reasons we chose HerdApp, it was their reputation as one of the premier search engine optimization agencies out there. Search optimization, uh, for those of you who don't know, is the practice of optimizing your uh, website, podcast, YouTube views, or anything else to be found as high as possible in the Google search results. Heard at Marketing serves the marketing needs of companies of all sizes, from mom and pop shops to S&P 500 corporations. They work with nearly 3,000 business locations in 43 states, and this was the tipping point in the decision for the Hollywood Raw. So we knew that growing Hollywood Raw meant partnering with a media company that also had a full marketing arm, and that's what Herd at Marketing brings to the table. So Herd at Marketing is not just SEO. They are a full-service marketing agency with literally every service under one roof. There is nothing outsourced to partners like a lot of the other big agencies do, and we mean everything, social media marketing, web design, content marketing, video production, branding, creative, SEO, SEM, local SEO, all the SC whatevers, they have the team in-house to meet your needs and ours. Yeah, that's why you see our TikTok blowing up. Uh, we are getting ready to launch a whole new website, and they are the power behind the new stories that we found on our website. They literally do it all for us, and they can do the same for you. So if you have a company that needs more customers or know somebody who needs new customers, you know by now that the internet is where you're going to find them, and Herd at Marketing is the company that will get you found more often than your competition online at herdatmarketing.com. That's H U R R D A T marketing.com or give them a call at 877 662 4443. Yeah, what's up? It's your boy Too Short. Check me out. I'm on the Hollywood Raw podcast talking about life, my life, talking about my first job, all kind of shit. Tap in, y'all. What's up, Dex? What's up, buddy? Uh, nothing. We got a good one today. We got Too Short on the uh, the program today. Too Short, legendary rapper we, wait, out of the wait, West Coast. Have we Coast. had any other rappers? Um, Nick Cannon I mean, hasn't Pride, come on yet. Spencer Pratt and Brian Austin Green. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Brian Austin Green. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure maybe Farrah Abraham did a song too. I'm yeah, sure she's yeah, yeah. had done a rap song before. So, so like um, we got two official sh- rapper. Yeah, a real one, a legit Successful one. So we got a rapper. Yeah, so we got two short one on the podcast. West Coast legend. Uh, you know, he came up with the you know the people like Easy E, Dr. Dre. He's worked with Tupac and Biggie. Um, you know, so it's a pretty interesting guy. Before we get to him, before we get to him. Um, a little bit about the Hollywood Raw podcast. This is a place where we humanize Hollywood. When people always says, what does that mean? You reveal the fourth wall of Hollywood. You know what? We reveal all the secrets of Hollywood, the parts of the business that that they try to hide from you in some mm-hmm. ways. We like to we don't like to expose it, but we like to discuss it and also make it relatable, well, but also because there's that's so- more curious in. 
Yeah. And then there's so much that goes on in this industry that like we start to talk to our friends. We're like, oh, you didn't know that? Oh, that's that's common. Everyone knows that that works in the industry, that these side deals are done or the paparazzi work with the the celebrities, like simple little things like that. Like, dude, I can't tell you how many texts and calls I got from the Spencer Pratt interview from from people. Everyone loved that, you know, and, and I think it was like Spencer's just brutal honesty, but then open uh, opening people's eyes that like, yeah, shit's different than what you think is actually happening out here. I loved it. It was such a good interview. Yeah. Uh, last week we had Spencer Pratt on the show. Uh, tune into that one. It's a really good episode. He Spencer Pratt, love him, hate him, but I think who, you have to respect some of your them. other like favorite interviews that we've had. Um, I liked Farrah Abraham. She was one of those Ooh, people where one. she was very professional on time. Brian Austin Green, uh, uh, Annalyn McCord, uh, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins. Uh, you know, the situation. I thought the situation was a really fun one. Polly Shore. Remember, we were such like little fanboys on the Polly Shore because we grew up with him. And he sure. was so famous when we were young that that was kind of a fun. I mean, he was kooky and crazy and Polly Shore-ish. But like having someone like that on that like you know, take me back 20 years ago, I would have never thought I'd even be able to sit down and have a conversation, let alone like a 45 minute conversation with him. Yeah. Interesting guy. Um, so, uh, yeah, we got some really good stuff in the library. It's uh, it's some good episodes to go back to. and look. last week, Spencer, I highly suggest you listen to Spencer, uh, really interesting guy. And he's, you know, it's funny. I talked to someone else in the industry saying, we just had Spencer on the podcast and this was coming from a notable journalist. He said to me, he goes, you know what about, I love Spencer. And you know what I love about Spencer? He doesn't bullshit. He goes, mm-hmm. everything he's always said, it's crazy, but he's real. He's honest. Like we don't catch him lying. Like some celebrities try to lie to kind of get media, but like everything he says, like he's, he's, he's brutally honest, you know, yeah. to the point where it's uncomfortable if you do a show with him or work with him, but you got to respect it. And he understands what he's doing before uh, we get to our boy too short. Um, we like to do this thing in this podcast where we read your reviews live on air. It's the best thing you do to support this podcast is give a good review and write a few kind of words, five star only. And uh, it really helps out with the algorithm. Um, so uh, when you do that, we actually pick one out. We kind of read the review on air. Dex, do you got one for us today? It's like a virtual kiss that you're sending us is really what it comes down to, guys. We want to have a virtual makeout session with you on iTunes. All right. So this one's from Doc MT. Oh, this is nice. Adam and Dex. These guys are are awesome. Great content. Hilarious duo that work well together. I'm a fan, even though Adam is a douche. Ha <laughs> ha. Nice, nice. Doc MT. Nice guy. Send me uh, DM me on Instagram so I can send you a T-shirt. Um, and when I say send me DM me online, just so I know you are, so I can find where you are and beat the shit out of you. Uh, but yes. Hey, uh, he gave us, he or she gave us five stars. So yes, you no, better listen, be praising I, them for that. It doesn't even I'm matter. Kidding, call us I'm kidding. All you want, I give us five care. stars. At least they call me Adam instead of Alan. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate they got my name That's right. That's true. Exactly. That's Get the exactly. name right um, and give us a five star. And yeah, by the no, way, I you do guys, appreciate that. If you want to be a part of the show, we greatly uh, in, uh, encourage you guys to be a part of the show. We've got obviously the phone line, which you can call, leave a, a vo- voicemail. Wow, I can't talk today. This is not a good start to our show, no. dude. Um, so you can leave us a voicemail, 833 HWR line. Leave us a voicemail, ask us or ask something for a celeb. 
And then also we obviously play fan question roulette where we play your questions for celeb. You don't know who it's going to be. However, if you film yourself, say where you're from and ask a question, we'll throw those videos in during our fan question roulette. So that's always fun. So hit us up on the DMs in IG for that one. Yes. With that said, uh, we got a very, very cool, special, legendary guest on today's podcast. I feel like. I need some more energy than that. Let's try that one again, Adam. Uh, Dax today. <laughs> oh, man, I'm, it's just hot, dude. I'm not going to lie. Uh, uh, today, we got a very, very cool, special, historic uh, pioneer in the music industry. Dax, tell us about our guest. Yeah, so uh, our guest today is, well, like you said, a pioneer in West Coast rap, paved the way for some of the biggest stars out there today. He is... Big, huge, all-time rapper and producer, Too Short. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. All right, so we're talking to Too Short. He's uh, on the – where are you going to right now? You're actually on the move. Where are you going? I'm going to work, man. I'm going to the studio to work on a song that I did with a little Duval. I was working on a lot of songs during the quarantine, and it was this one last song that I didn't finish. I, did, I, I recorded like 100 songs. Shit. Just, just fucking around. Like 50 with Mount Westmore and another 50 solo joints. So the last, I mixed them all. Everything's like, you know, got good, like, you know, like it's, they're, they're in a good space. And uh, the one song was incomplete, but it's a really funny song. It's a really dope song. And I'm kind of eager to get to the studio right now and finish it. Yeah, yeah, so when, when you like produce that much music over the last year of quarantine, is there something that, like, you know, shit, this one's I'm really proud of. This one is going to just explode. Like, as an artist, because I know people pump out so much stuff, can you feel it in your bones when it's going to be a good one? Yeah, if you have your favorites, and then you have the songs that you suspect that would do great things. But right now where I'm at, I, I just kind of, like, throw them in the catalog, and, and then whenever we do a project or something's needed, I just let people hear, you know, what I got. Like, you know, some of these, it's, the quarantine is weird because I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only artist and I'm an older artist, so I know I'm not the only one that made a lot of songs during the quarantine. And it's like, you really don't normally have all that free time. And I don't know what to do with all these damn songs. I really don't. Just, I just made them. <laughs> you just monetize but, them. You might as well. And, and you know what's crazy is these, all these new platforms, stuff like NFT and all that stuff. It's just so many places music can go. So, I mean, we're talking now like doing an exclusive nft album that's that's in the works yeah okay yeah. so i i want to ask that because nft is obviously huge we just had cuban on the other day he was talking about nfts how like what do you do differently for an album just because it'll be like the first the like certified of its kind or something like what how does it work with music i think it's just an, a, a kind of exclusive piece of art that not everyone can own and mm -hmm. you know and possess so that puts the value in it right there. It's kind of like when the Wu Tang sold their album to the one guy, but yeah, you know, um, be authenticated, right? I mean, hey man, it's a new, it's a new universe. Let's see where it goes. I'm, I'm right here. I'm, I'm just glad to be poised to be a part of it, man. Like to have the opportunity to even see what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I could be on the sidelines and retired. Very true. Very true. Fuck that. Fuck all that. <laughs> What is 
I got a w- w- weird question for you. What's a normal day for you? Like, what time do you wake up? What's the first thing you eat usually? Like, what's your normal routine? No, nah, my normal day is just, uh, I'm a hustler, man. So I literally, like, Sundays are like Mondays and Thursdays are like Saturdays. Nothing changes. I get up in the morning and the fucking phone starts ringing. And that's, I think that's the beauty of this long career I'm having and, you know, it's just that people are calling, asking for things, and paying for shit, and the fucking phone's still ringing, and the and the music is still is still generating the you know the popularity and the income and all this shit. So, uh, my normal day is you just wake up and there's a list of things you got to do. You know, hopefully, like every day in the past, is it's impossible to to check off everything off the list, and the shit carries on to the next day, and you just always stay busy and it's just it's a constant flow of uh, making music you know booking appearances and stuff and socializing and uh, hooking up new deals and you know these new deals that we do forever and ever I mean they do some do big things some do little things but you gotta um, consistently just keep grinding because I, I I learned a long time ago if you um if you're like just satisfied with that one hustle the one that's the one that you're winning with and that's the one thing you like this is my bread and butter if you're satisfied with that then you don't have a lot of room for error and I've never been satisfied like that so I do five jobs at one time some of them are passion projects others are a short thing to make money but the the follow through is the key with me. And I think that a lot of people put a lot of things on their plate and they don't have the time to follow through. I personally have that ability to follow through, whether it's going to win or lose, we're going to follow through and give it a chance to see what happens. I'm a hustler, man. I'm a real fucking hustler. That's what we do. So you, you know, you mentioned this, you've had a hell of a long career. What was the moment during your career? Like I've made it like, this is the moment I knew I made it in my career. I think um, you hit these milestones. I remember the first one that I really, you know, really just made me feel accomplished was um, probably like going on tour with Eazy-E and NWA and every night's a different arena. The arenas are sold out to the top and you come out on stage and these people see you for the first time and they fucking lose their minds. And it happens night after night. And, you know, I went through that I went through that phase for about three years straight of just touring in big venues. And I was I was like 21 years old. And it was that it was that moment in life, like that greatest moment of your life when you're young and it's fucking fun. You get money for the first time. And it's just you seeing the world. It was just the best shit ever. So I think um, I felt that way then. But that that's just like a high that does not going to last forever. And reality continuously sets in over the years. Like motherfucker, you got to hustle some more or you got to do some shit. That's that you don't want to do, which might be fucking those. When, you know, when it's, when it's, you ride like that, you got that 24 hour schedule where the people that work with you and the people that work for you don't, don't realize that you have to sleep. And they book your fucking schedule 24-7. Like, oh, he'll wake up at 8 in the morning and do radio. Then he'll do uh, 
PR stuff and, and, and magazine and newspaper interviews, and then he'll show up for sound check, and then we'll have a, a dinner party where he has to uh, be the host, and then he'll be on stage right after that, and then we'll book him at an after party, and then we'll book him at radio 7 o'clock the next morning. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I think there is definitely another side to being an artist that people don't realize. We, you know, myself included, you see the glamorous side, you see the the being up on stage and everyone chanting your name. But yeah, you don't see that that human side when you're like, damn, dude, I'm I'm a commodity on the other side of it, but I need rest too. People don't understand sometimes when a celebrity just passes out that it comes from like exhaustion or dehydration or just overworking. Like I've seen it happen, and I've I've come off a like a a working like just on a run and you get home and you just sleep for 48 hours straight like you don't get out of bed for two days because you can't but yeah. I think that um the reality of this is is um if you're in it you realize early on that the people that work the hardest are the ones who achieve the most and it's, it's, it's that kind of business where Hard work really does pay off, and and if you're like roller coasting downhill and not really putting in the work, somebody's gonna come along and pass your ass up. Too short. Let me ask you, who discovered you? Like who you were? You, you know, you were in a you were in the band, you know, and so you knew how to play the drums and you started making beats. But who was a person actually like took a liking to you and said like, you know, you have something here. Like I'm gonna bring you to the next step. I had a rap partner named Freddie B. We met in high school. And if Freddie B was talking to us right now, he'd probably tell you the same thing. We we never got discovered. <laughs> like we discovered ourselves. We actually were we were the ones who decided to record and sell our music and we were the ones who built up the fan base and we were the ones who ran the, the whole operation. Never once was I ever discovered. If you wanna you want a discovery story, let's see, um I was selling a lot of records locally, a lot of cassettes and wax locally in the Bay Area. Um, it was very, very popular in Northern California, and it would seep out a little bit, but it was intense in Northern California, around the Bay and around Sacramento and just anywhere not far from the Bay. Uh, we were making hundreds of thousands of dollars independently, not giving a fuck about any label in New York or any label in LA or any music exec or any other operation. We would just put out fucking tapes. A lot of people bought them and we couldn't, we couldn't manufacture them fast enough to get them to the public. Every time we get a new batch, they sell out and, you know, one order from all the record stores that gone seven days later, there's, there's nothing out. You know, we can't get the new batch in and the stores are empty. So, it was that kind of thing. And the discovery story, if it has to happen, it would be uh, one of Norby Walters' kids, the old booking agent, Richie Walters, caught wind of what we were doing. And he supposedly contacted either Barry Wise or Clive Calder, you know, the guys that ran Jive Records and said as a kid out in Oakland that's like on fire. And they did the due diligence and got me on the phone 
And I never talked to Richie at first, but I talked to Barry. He called me directly. And he's just like, hey, we're interested. You know, we know about you. And we want to know if you want to, you want to do a deal. And we eventually did do the deal. And I was told I wasn't in the, on the, I was, I wasn't in the loop on this decision, but I was told that maybe the first album, maybe the first two, I don't know, but Richie got, definitely got a finder's fee. So if that's the discovery story, that's, that's it. But did you ever have per se, like a normal job? Because it seems like you started so young, were already successful in your hometown. Did you ever work a, a normal job like other people? Once upon a time, I think I was in 12th grade, a friend of mine named Greg Levias, he graduated a year before us. And then he comes bragging like, you know, like, yeah, man, you know, I'm the assistant manager at Jack in a Box. And, <laughs> you know, I could hire all you guys. And and he literally, I don't know if he's still in the organization, so I don't want to, like, <laughs> say too much about it. But he hired a bunch of bad kids. And we all got jobs at Jack in a Box. <laughs> and we were, pre- we were, like, we were pretty shitty employees. Like, we were, we were, we were pretty shitty because, uh, you know, we just, we, I mean, some of the guys were like selling weed out the drive through window. <laughs> we were like stealing burger, frozen burgers. And back then, Jack in the Box had steak, steak dinners and shrimp dinners. We stole all that shit. We fucking, we worked. I remember the day I quit. I worked there like four months. And I only worked there because my homeboy told us to get the job. We all worked on his shift, which was the after school swing shift. And then, the big boss manager one day, it was like a Friday or something. And he just pulls up on me. He never was there when we were there. He worked at the six in the morning to like two, 3 PM shift. And then the, the, the other guys take over at night. So this guy comes up to me personally. I never really fucking fucking scary. Like manager, fast food manager, dude. He says, um, you're on the schedule tomorrow morning for 6 AM. And I'm like, fuck, Saturday morning, 6 a.m. That's not that's not what I signed on for. Fuck all that. And I go there. I show up at 6 in the morning on a Saturday because we only got to work part-time, like 4 to 8. And if you got that 6 a.m. shift, you're going to get an eight-hour shift. And I'm like, I really didn't want that, but I'm like, fuck it, I'll go in and do it. And I get there at 6 in the morning, and the manager guy, the big boss, he hands me a chisel and a fucking um like some kind of fucking uh some kind of spray shit some, some <laughs> okay. chemical shit and he gives me a bristle pad of, like with a handle so i got the chisel the bristle and these two solvents whatever the fuck you call them chemicals in a can and he walks me outside at six in the morning. Jack in the Box stays up in twenty four hours, and he's like, "Okay, you take the chisel, you um, you put this chemical on every time you see some chewing gum, you put this Aww. chemical on it, and you s- scoop up the gum in the drive through. And then he says, you take this other chemical and you put it on every oil stain, and you take the bristle pad and you clean up the oil stains. And Aww. I was I was computing in my head. I'm like, this fucker's <laughs> on to us. He's about to torture me for all this shit we've been doing, fucking up. And 
he, I took the instructions. I'm like, okay, thank you. I'll do it. I got it. I'm on it. As soon as he walked inside, I laid all four of them shits on the ground, walked across the street, jumped on the butt, <laughs> with the jack in the box ever again. <laughs> Good for you. Fuck that those gum are, and that those, oil stands. That's some bullshit right there. Yeah. And, oh. and now, every time I go to fast food, over the years, I spit gum out in the drive-thru. <laughs> it's like I'm... It's a, it's a universe thing. So... <laughs> That was my last oh. job. Ever since then, after that, rap music paid me from then until now. What's the awesome. what is the best part and the worst part of being a rapper? Like, I'm sure the best part, obviously, the money. It doesn't feel like work. It's your passion. Is there anything else? And then, what is the worst part about being a rapper? It goes with the job. Well, you know, the best part is the stereotypes of uh, you know the rapper lifestyle. If you want to, you could just fucking play video games all day and smoke weed. And fuck chicks and, you know, just make a song and do a show and then fuck more chicks, smoke more weed, play more video games. If you want to, you can live that lifestyle. I live, I didn't, not really a video game got kind of guy, but, you know, a lot of fucking shooting pool and fucking around and hanging out and, you know, and still very secure financially, but just, just kind of kicking and enjoying life, doing shit. Uh, I used to, do the rock star shit where um where I would be uh, obligated to do like a list of things over over a period of time, maybe like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You, this is your schedule, and I would just fucking disappear, and I'd be somewhere in some hotel room or at home with some chick with the fucking shades, clothes, and just never putting clothes on for three days, just fucking all day and night, not answering the phone and. And they're like, where is he? Where is he? Is he alive? I'm just, fuck, I'm just hibernating with some good pussy. And, you know what I mean? Just, just, just you know, I, I always believe in handling my business. So I would wake up early in the morning and make a bunch of calls to New York because they're three hours ahead and take care of some shit. And then I'd go go back to bed and sleep for a while and like everything's handled for the day i'm good and you know just just that free schedule of all the benefits you know when you're a rapper and you go to like mcdonald's you order like the number one she's like you're like how much is it and she's like ah it's free just go ahead take it and like even though you got money they just give you free shit everywhere you go everywhere you go i um I could tell you endless stories of just rapper benefits. It's, it really yeah, what, is for what, real. What's, what was the what was the most extravagant thing that you got for free then? I remember a guy delivered some barbecue to us, and it wasn't the free barbecue. Is if he had it delivered uh, by his employees, and one of the employees was his pretty beautiful daughter, and she brought the. She brought the barbecue, and she sucked my dick. That was, that was good. That was. I was. I was like barbecue. I'm like really like the most extravagant. I'm like waiting for a car or some like wild trip. Now I got a barbecue and a blowjob. I'm just saying. It's just, that's, but that was like the norm, you know, like the norm. And I'm sure. You know, yeah, many artists tell their, their stories. I've read the rock and roll books, and, you know, I, I, I know how it is. 
Um, I think the worst part of being a rapper is is um, you could be an actor and you could play one kind of role, which is action or romantic comedy or fucking serious drama. And then you could go home or go to Starbucks and you could be you. And they're like, hey, you're that guy in that movie. You like, yeah, you want to autograph one picture. But when you're a rapper, and I rap a lot about pipping hoes and stuff like that. And if I go to some two short fans, not all of them, and I go, Hey, did you know that I'm really I'm really a musician who writes songs and I don't actually pimp hoes on the street? And I really when I when I get off stage, I don't call all the women backstage bitches. I just kind of like respect them and you know I got a good job fans will get mad at you they'll be like you're not a, what do you mean you're not a pimp I'm like no you know I just make music about pimp shit and you know it's dope music they expect you to live the life you're rapping about yeah and it's like it goes a little further too so I'm going on a date with a chick who I've shown nothing but respect to who who sees me and knows what it is. But when I pick her up, here come the uncles and the cousins. And they're like, yeah, man, you know, this one here, man, she ain't no hoe, man. I'll be trying to pimp on her. And if, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I get like threats and shit. Like, I'm like, bro, that's my job. I'm not about to pimp your auntie or your niece. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's it's uh the stereotypes go both ways. Yeah. Do you find it exhausting though to feel like you know, especially being in the music game, which is, it's not an older young game, but just to stay you know, to stay fresh, to stay relevant, to kind of, you know, obviously your demographic, you're an OG, you you know, you're one of the West Coast pioneers, but is it exhausting trying to stay fresh or new or trying to be keep relevant with music today, or can you just kind of do your own thing? I'm sure it is, depending on how you stay relevant and stay in touch with the times. But for me, I frequent a lot of different type of places. And I kind of, like, go there because, like, if I'm at a nightclub, I'm not in the nightclub trying to fuck a 21-year-old. I'm probably at the club just trying to see what's the hottest songs, what's the DJ playing, how do they dance? What's the new tempo? What's the bounce? What's the, you know, just yeah. what the vibe is. What, what do people look like clothes-wise and shit? Like, what's what's changing and what's staying the same? And just, and just kind of, like, being in tune with the now and not stuck in, in the sure. moment where, where I was the hottest in 1996 and I'm going to freeze frame everything I do in 1996 because that was the moment. Like, I, a lot of artists in different genres including hip-hop they hit that thing and whatever that look is with the clothes and the hairdo and the behavior they keep they stuck right there they like i'm wearing this rock and roll hair forever i'm wearing these fucking whatever it is braids whatever it is and and it's like i'm not like that i'm like what's the new hot shit let's go yeah i'm with with that so one of the questions i asked you earlier with do you know you have a hit when when you wrote Blow the Whistle, 
did you know at that moment it was going to be so big? Okay, some records, some songs actually give you this, um, it gives you this feeling that you love this song like it's your own child, like you love it. You can listen to it a thousand times in a row. It really is speaking to you and for you, and it does everything you want a song to do before a song is released. And you really feel good about it. You love it. For some emotional reason, it's attached to you, and you love this fucking song. Um, That's one thing. Another thing is certain songs... And you can be wrong, and you could be wrong thinking that the song is going to be a hit, and you could be wrong thinking that a song that you made is just so regular, and it ends up becoming a hit. But sometimes you get the feeling, and you go, I'm telling you, this one right here is a banger. This is the one. And sometimes you're right. But it's almost like playing cards in Vegas. You don't know what the next card is going to be. You don't know if you just got dealt 21. You don't know what your poker hand is looking like. And you just really don't know. As much as people sit around, and I've been around them for years, the predictors, they're about as accurate as the fucking sportscasters on ESPN when they talk all that shit before the game and none of that shit happens during the game. That shit. So it's like, I never, you can't tell me, man, so-and-so's, picks hits. I don't believe that shit. So-and-so has picked a hit or two, but you just can't. I don't think anybody has the ear to say that's not a hit, that is a hit. Now, if you like a Clive Davis or somebody and you got the big budget and you run the machine, I'm sure you can sit in the office and go, I'm going to make that a hit. That's a hit, that's not. But you have a machine to go, I love that record, I'm going to push that record. But I don't think without that machine, it's hard to just go, that's a hit. You can dream away and go, it could have been a hit. It would have been big if they would have did it right, all that type of shit. But, you know, I I play the percentages, man. Make a lot of dope songs, and this shit, something's going to happen. Just do it. So just did you feel, though, that that one was one of your babies, though, that you could have played it a thousand times? And then I'm sure you have played it a thousand times. Do you still enjoy it? Blow the Whistle is the only song. Blow the Whistle mixed with a little bit of Shake That Monkey because they came out one year apart and they both had the same circumstances. Um, I released these songs while I was on Jive Records at the end of my contract. And Jive Records had totally abandoned R&B and hip-hop as far as support. And they only supported Justin Timberlake, Britney Spears, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, and anything that was appearing to be pop. Anything that was going to be pop that was... Anything that was going to be pop that they thought was going to make a billion dollars. Yeah. And they were like, fuck anything else. If you're only going to make me $10 million, get the fuck out of my office. Like, they just changed the whole everything. So, um, Blow the Whistle is the only song that I literally saw Barry Wise years after I was off of Jive Records. And 
he came up and he apologized. And he said, I just got to say I'm sorry. Because Blow the Whistle came out in 06. And it started gaining momentum in 08. And it got bigger in 2010. And it was alive and well in 2013. And it never fucking goes away. And the guy who should have made the song a worldwide hit didn't do it. And the song made itself a worldwide hit. And as an executive, the one who called off the the um, the marketing budget and, and shut it down, you got to feel a certain kind of way if you're supposed to be the guy who makes things big. You, you know, you're the guy who makes superstars. And you got an artist who's has a pretty tried and true track record and he's still delivering you hits and you keep fumbling, you know, like, like shake that monkey. If you go look at the video, it's a fucking cheap ass video. And me and little John and the director Gil, we put on this extravagant fucking environment of, of just fun. And Jive Records shot the shit. They they knocked the budget down so it couldn't get shot quality. So we still had the fun, everybody doing the fun shit, but it was shot really shitty. And I say um, Blow the Whistle and Shake That Monkey because those are songs that Barry Wise came back. He's like, man, we just didn't get it. I'm like, you fucking got it. You just didn't want to get it. And, you know, I, I knew the fuck, I knew the fucking song was a hit. But I didn't know it was going to be like a record that lasts for 20 years and travels around the world. And it just turns out to be my signature song. Like, I already had a signature song before Blow the Whistle came out. I was already fucking famous and had a whole catalog of songs that were timeless music. And, you know, it just, yeah, it just outdid everything. Do you, would you say off the residuals of that song, do you make... Like a, at least, do you make more or less than a half a million a year off that song? Well, you got to also factor in not just how much the song makes off streams and 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 absolute downloads or whatever, but you also got to factor in how many times do people call me and they ask me to do a show, and they find out, you know, how much the show is. And then they go, I can't afford the show. And I'm like, well, you know, give me half of that. And I'll come in and just, I'll sing, blow the whistle and shake that monkey and then leave. And they go, great. We'll take it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, we, we know you're at your location. Can we do a quick speed round with you before you go? Okay. All right. Adam, it's just All a right. quick response. Whatever comes to your head first. Okay. Right. The, the biggest fan of you that you ever met. What I mean, biggest, the biggest fan, biggest celebrity who is a fan of you? Oh man, shit! I'm trying to think, this is, a lot of celebrities fuck with you too short because they they were little kids trying to be bad listening to that shit. Um, the person who knows the most lyrics, who just knows he knows more of my songs than I do, is Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I don't know how the fuck he memorized all that shit. He Snoop knows songs that I made that. I never even released. They were just like homemade tapes back in the day, and he got a hold of them. He, um, but I do say that he is a, a hip-hop aficionado. He's like, is 
that way with other artists also. But he amazes me because he'll, he'll call me like on FaceTime and his song, he's just like rapping some random ass two short song. I'm like, dude, I don't even know the words of that song. How the fuck do you know him? And you know, I mean, if if you notice, he 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 was slightly paying homage as he came in the game and Death Row was, you know, like Death Row Biatch and you know what I'm saying? And you look at the um, you know, short dog, Snoop Dogg, you know what I'm saying? It was he was like, man, I he was like I was a fan. So it kind of kind of used a little bit of too short, a little bit of slick, Rick. You know, a little, you got a little, little bit of little elements because we all, we all take from what came before us and put our version together. I was trying to be like Melly Mel from Grandmaster Flash. I was trying to be like Spoonie G. I, I was, you know, I had my little version of what what I thought I wanted to be like based on what had already been out there. And uh, I would say definitely like I'm trying to think who else, but. It's a lot of a lot of celebs that are that love too short a lot. Yeah. Now I love I love the Snoop Dogg. Snoop's the best. Uh, so what what would you say is your biggest mistake you made in the industry? Uh, no doubt, the one thing I did I I did uh, two contracts with Jive Records, and I renegotiated when I had one album left, and I was like, I mean, I'm probably gonna do that album and just dip. And they were like, well, let's just renegotiate for this super high amounts of money and all kind of shit. And I don't mind that I re-signed the, mo- the money and what it could have been and what it have been, but I do mind that I re-signed. And shortly after that, they abandoned, totally abandoned R&B and hip-hop. And I was talking to um, a guy named Peter Thea, who at the time was a lawyer at Jive who ran the A&R department. And I made a couple of albums that they weren't doing the usual marketing. So it's getting ready to be another album. And I'm telling Peter, you know, the little complaints and, you know, about the, what's going on in the building. All they wanted to do was Britney and sync Backstreet. That's all, they, that's all they cared about. And if you were a business guy, can, can you blame him? But Peter Thea says to my face, he's like, yeah, you know, we're getting back in the rap game. And I was just like, when did you get out the rap game? I didn't even know. I didn't even know. (laughs) So in hindsight, it's like I signed. I could have just went on back to my independent world. I could have went to another label that believed in rap. And, you know, those years of shake that monkey, blow the whistle could have been different had I been on a label that supported me as an artist. And I'm, you can talk to, I know R. Kelly don't want to talk about it right now, but you can talk to R. <laughs> R. Kelly. You could talk to, you could talk to um, E-40. You could talk to the artists that were acquired by Jive Records that came from, I think it was, um, I don't know if it was Arista, one of those damn labels, all their artists came over to Jive and they were like in fucking shock. Cause they were, they went from being like artists that had budgets and videos and promo and to like, to the jive, the new jive way of we're going to drop your shit, probably shoot two videos, throw them shits out and don't call us anymore. And it was, it was, it was fucked up. It was fucked up in the end. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's my biggest regret in my entire career was re-signing with jive records hands down. Yeah. All right. How many cars do you own? 
I woke up in 1999, walked out in my driveway, and it was eight cars parked outside. And all I did was spend all day taking them to the shop and dropping them off and picking them up and towing them here and paying for this and that. And I just felt really stupid. So I dwindled it down to three cars. And ever since then, I don't see any need for more than two or three cars. So I got three cars now, but, you know, I I mostly just drive one. All right. So if you weren't a rapper, what would you be doing today? If if your life trajectory went on a very different path, what would you be doing? When I was coming of age and I was learning who I am and who I want to be, I only had three choices that I would have picked. Both of my parents were accountants and mathematics always came easy to me. And I was like, in in my mind somewhere, I'm like, my father wanted me to be like a doctor or something and go play golf and be a surgeon or something. And in, my, in the back of my mind, I was like, I could go to college and get like a fucking bachelor of a, a, a fucking uh, a accounting degree and, and then, you know, go on and be a CPA or some shit and go to fucking work every day. I knew I didn't want to do that shit. Um, I also really studied the pimp game and the financial part of it, as well as the mental part of it, the hustle. And I could have did that shit too, but I, I didn't want to do that either. And I was, very young when I started making money off music and I never stopped. And luckily all the things that I thought in my mind that I could do and would do never even, and I went to college for like a week. I I went to college long enough just to get the fucking books, show them to my mother. Yeah. I mean, I enrolled and never went to class. I just, I knew what I wanted to do. Like it. And I have, had I been a failure at rap, that I don't know what I would have I don't know what would have something would have came up I'm a hustler I would have did something but you know I probably just would have went to college and got a couple degrees and just you know talked about the days when I was a rapper (laughs) yeah (laughs) who was your worst celebrity encounter a bad celebrity encounter fuck um I would I could tell you the story, but I I don't really want to say the name, but we'll do a blind it, item. It's all good. It goes like this and it happens not often, but it happens enough. And I'm pretty sure I did it to somebody else too. It's when you it's when you come across the celebrity shine finds each other. And you're like, hey, hey, you know, fuck, I fuck with you, I fuck with you, but the other person is shit faced, and is just totally out of control. Could be bad alcohol breath, or just bad composure, or just saying stupid shit. And you know, I'm I'm sure I've done it to somebody where I was just so fucking loaded, and they just just weren't. And I just fucking just irritate the fuck out of them. <laughs> but yeah, if you're not on that same level and we're outshining, but they're like higher than you, it, it could be awkward. It gets awkward. I can understand that. 
And then people who are really intoxicated sometimes want you to do what they're doing and take some, do some. Let's, like, no, dude, I'm not going anywhere with you. I don't want your drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to party with the people you're with right now. And then, you know, people can, like, not take no for the answer. You're like, and they feel privileged. And you don't, you don't say no to privileged people. Yeah. So it gets awkward. <laughs> well, who's that? Who's got the coolest home that you've been in celebrity wise? Uh, Puff Daddy's always the winner as far as the vibe. He's, he's like the vibe guy. He throws the best parties. He has the best friends. He's, he's just fucking, you know, no matter where he's at, it's just fly as fuck. He's, he's the only person I know that goes to the club with 400 friends and they get in the side door. So dope. And he goes, he goes to his table, but most of us go to our table. He doesn't have a table. He has a section. He has a club like inside. Ten club. tables. And <laughs> the bottles are on the table before he gets there. And it's just, he just does everything bigger than everybody else. So fun. What's the one food everyone loves but you can't get into? Hot sauce. What? <laughs> what? I don't fuck with any kind of hot sauce. <laughs> You just don't like spicy food, or is it just hot sauce? I like chicks that come from cities where they make hot sauce. Because <laughs> they seem to be a little spicier than other chicks. <laughs> I love it, dude. All right. Well, I got one last question for you. Uh, let's see. How about the biggest celeb you got in your phone? Who's the biggest celebrity in my phone? Shit. I gotta yeah, imagine of, it's just like quite the fucking Rolodex yeah, in there. I'm like I got a lot of people. Celebrities are funny though, man, because you see a guy like Drake and he'll be like, "Call me next week," and then their fucking number one work. Are <laughs> 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 you calling? Are you calling me? Like no reply. Yeah. And it's like I, I really don't fuck with celebrities for that reason. But like hassle. It's like a temporary thing. It's like let's connect. And whatever the thing we're vibing on right now, let's do that. But then probably let's not keep in touch. Yeah, I'll see you at a show or something, an award show or somewhere else. Yeah, that part. So, <laughs> Adam, you got one last question for him? Yes. Um, the Who is the coolest celebrity that you ever got drunk with? Let's see here. Um, the, the one you're like, man, this is pretty awesome. No one's going to believe this. Yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised the people who like smoke weed and and do and do party shit. I'm trying to think um who threw me off that I was like really hanging out with. I try not to remember remember this kind of shit because you know I'm I'm not I'm never I'm never in awe of the moment. So probably some things that I've done would be like the greatest story that I just I don't even remember it. And people remind me and shit and I'm like we did that for real. So I'm like fine. Um a lot of ball players smoke weed. Uh-huh. I don't think that's a big secret. I've I probably met like like one out of a hundred ball players don't smoke weed. You know, like everybody smokes weed. Like even yeah. like act I'm gonna say the person who I enjoyed the most just having a smoke session with probably was Jill Scott. And okay. Jill Scott is very empowering. She um she calls me by my real name. And we made a song that never came out. And I remember um, 
pulling up to the studio. She smokes a little joints, kicking it with the peace pipe. You know, we we powwow and and I wrote this verse, and then she she comes to me and shows me in my verse, like everywhere where I didn't do the right thing and I could have expanded more and it seems like I was holding back and, you know, be too short in the song. And she, she gave me like, like some shit that nobody ever does. She kind of scolded me a little bit, but it was, it was creative criticism. And I redid it, like she said, and we were happy with the song. Um, but later, like we, we hung out one time and we really just hung out to smoke some weed and, and listen to music. She did a show and a couple of people in the room hanging out and stuff. We like after party kind of vibe, just kicking it, smoking. And it's just it, to be with Jill Scott and smoke with her. You're like, am I smoking weed with Jill Scott? Like, it's really fucking happening. But then she's like, she breaks out her phone and she's like, she's like, I have so many songs that people never heard. And she's got all these songs in like these voice notes, like songs. The music, the lyrics, and she's like scrolling. It's like hundreds of songs, and she's like, "Just stop anywhere, just anyone, just do it and stop." Like like Lotto, and every time you stop, a dope ass song came on, and she's she's just like, I mean, somewhere right now she's sitting there with hundreds of songs that we've never heard. Oh, like how bad so, do you want to go through that phone? That sounds awesome. So I'm smoking weed with Just Got, listening to unreleased Just Got songs, and I'm like this is really happening because I'm a Jill Scott fan, you know, like, <laughs> like spent many hours listening to Jill Scott songs. So cool. I, awesome. I, you know what? One thing we didn't talk about, sorry, it's going to be a hard left turn from Jill Scott songs, but only fans. Are you on only fans? I dabbled around in a couple of meetings that discussed what only fans could be. Uh-huh. And I was even at a, at a dinner the other night where we were discussing it. And it, it would have to be, something of an original vibe you know like i don't i don't know what that is but um we we, we were talking about it just last week and because it's like that's become like the new place for celebs to go to kind of bypass and go directly to the consumer essentially so i was just curious because that's kind of what people are into these days yep I'm a, I'm a, I'm in the know of OnlyFans, but I think uh, for the most part, my titties ain't big enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. Well, listen, too short, man. It's uh, it's great to have you on the podcast. I mean, obviously, you're you're a stork rapper, and uh, we grew up on you, and it's uh, it's an honor. We're excited to see what you do next. I mean, obviously, that's the cool part is that you're you're you just keep coming out with new music, and uh, I'm really excited, especially with the. Uh, you know the business stuff because I know you, you're always up to something as an entrepreneur. It's it's pretty exciting to see what you do next because you're always uh you're always on the cusp of like the new thing that's happening. Okay, well let's go, man. We're doing it, man. We're doing the NFTs. We're doing Mount Westmore. We're doing new two short solo albums. We're doing the the two short brand marijuana. We're doing it all. I, I got a, a clothing line that's launching. Like I'm I'm hustling, man. You are, dude. And hey, big shout out to David Weintraub, your manager, because I. He he's the one. He's a, a friend of the show. He was the one that uh, helped us get you on. So big shout out! I know you guys are tight, but uh, thank Straight you for up. joining us, buddy. All right, man. See you guys soon, man. Fucking <laughs> interesting life, man. Dude, he's, a, a, he's a good dude. Such an interesting life. What an interesting <laughs> life. The bet. You know what I knew it was going to be a good interview when it starts up and he's driving. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. 
it's just like driving in the phone slipping off oh, oh my gosh that was so what funny. a life it's it's such a different life that what we have it's so what are you talking about mine sounds very parallel to his <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's just unreal man but it's it's interesting because for you dax you grew up on the west coast mm-hmm. he was like you're he's a legend for you guys huh well yeah i grew up in colorado bro like i'm from That's denver west colorado coast. oh yeah okay That's. <laughs> I moved I moved to California like when I was like 17 or something. Um oh. No, but you know I I wasn't big into rap and stuff when I was younger. It just wasn't No, my, you weren't. Yeah. <laughs> it like wasn't my thing. I was Dave Matthews straight out of Colorado listening to him at Red Rocks in the amphitheater, so Yeah. Um but I love I love his life experiences. You know, like I feel like I I appreciate everyone's like journey and i think it's he's had such a phenomenal career you know and i I liked hearing his story about how he's like what the fuck jive like why did you not give me the opportunities i deserve and it was true like they dropped the ball big time for him because you know that song is massive and think how much more massive it could have well i don't know maybe that was part of the allure of the song is that it didn't come out and just like smash down all the records that it was a slow build because we see all these movies that become cult classics after years and years and years and when they came out they sucked no one liked them but over decades now they become cult classics uh, movies i don't know it's, it's hard to say yeah no it's uh, it's it's definitely pretty interesting but i'm sure he did very very well financially like he said i think it was a great story where he says, this is how much it costs for me to perform. And they say, well, what else can we do? And he says, well, I'll just do these two songs and you give me half that. Okay, bam. So it's Boom, it's a win-win. Yep. Uh, it's a win-win. But uh, uh, you can check out this podcast. We do a video element. It's on our YouTube page. Uh, you can find me at, at Adam Glenn, G-L-Y-N. You can find Dax Holt at D-X-H-O-L-T. Make sure you guys leave a message and re- give us a good a positive review. review. Yes. That's very big for us. Uh, yeah. But yeah, you, you can call the phone line. We got a first message the other day. So HWR, oh, I'm sorry, 833-HWR-LINE. Call it 833-HWR-LINE. Leave us a message. It's fun. It's cool. We want to hear your drunk dials. Yes, send us your drunk dials, and we'll see you guys next time. Ahura Media Production.